tough, marriage becomes dry, and sometimes you know people people can't stand, and they begin to go out to other places that is unsafe. So God wants you to have pleasure. Somebody tell me, somebody say God wants you to have pleasure. God wants you to have pleasure. Say the good kind though. Amen. Right. Because we're told that things like um, many drugs can be pleasurable at a time, but what happens after? It destroys. Destroys. Fries people's brains. Destroys their, their thinking ability. And they never get to the same height because it's not meant to be used for that. So um, God wants us to have the right kind of pleasure. So let's continue. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, but out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Somebody say, Amen. That means that it's not everything you need to know. Right? He said you can eat of the tree of life, but the one of the knowledge of good and evil, don't even touch, don't eat it. He didn't say don't touch, he said don't eat it so that you don't die. They said, uh, curiosity, what? Kiss the cat. Yeah, many cats have died because they are curious. You know, they want to find out how, how the drug tastes. By the time they found out, they were in jail. Because they were still trying to find out. So, you don't, you, there's not everything you need to know. Right? The Bible says that the devil says, stolen water is sweet. Just try it. You don't need to know that. Right? All right, let's continue. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help and make him an help meet for him. It is not good for man to be alone. This is one of the best scriptures that shows that God sanctions marriage. Praise God. He said, God said it is not good. So God is the one who originated marriage. marriage. It's, it's God that said it is not good for man to be alone. And remember at this time, we won't have time to go back there. When the Bible says God created him in the beginning, say he created him male and female. So he, he's talking about male man, female man. And that means that they were just in one body at the time they were created. The, the, the whole of the uh, masculine and feminine expression was in one man when he was created in Genesis chapter number 1. But here God said it's not good for man to be alone. Some translation says all in one. And so God, uh, let's see what is next first. And God said it is not good for man to be alone. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he will call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was his name. So the first thing God did when he said man is not to be alone, he didn't just bring him a wife. Right? What did he do? He brought all kinds of animals. You know, sometimes people get very religious and they think that what God does is that he just, you know, slaps you with a husband or a wife. He comes and says, that is, has to be your husband. And there are some extremes to that where people uh, prophesy to other people and say, you are going to be my husband or wife if you like it or not. <laughs> well, it looks like it's strange here, but it's, it's been practiced in many places. I've had situations of somebody in this church who was going to get married, 
but the spouse was very concerned about the person going to a Holy Ghost filled church, in quote, because uh, he was married before the wife went to church. He was married, the wife, wife, they were married, went to church, and somebody prophesied to the wife that somebody else in that church ought to be the husband of the wife. So the wife divorced him and married someone in church. If you were you, you would be concerned about your wife going to church. So things like that happen, but it's not godly. Now, what I'm saying in essence is that God does not set a man and a woman apart to be married from heaven and say, this must be your wife. I know they use, they use terms like, this marriage was made in heaven. That is not correct. Praise God. Does God have a will in marriage? Yeah, he can, he can show you the kind of person you ought to marry. There are standards he has placed in pl the kind of people you should marry. So if you're planning to get married um, and, and you're choosing to be married, there are certain standards the word of God puts that you want to consider. And the first and the most important is that the person must be what? Born again. The Bible says that the righteous cannot be unequally yoked with the unrighteous. He said, because you are from two different kingdoms, two different perspectives. So you, both of you must be Christians. I know some people say, I would, I, would, I would convert him. He would change what I call missionary marriage. It doesn't really work. The exception is the case. Praise God. Of course, different people are in different levels of spiritual maturity, so it doesn't have to always be a mature person. But the bottom line is that both parties must be born again. All right, let's continue. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name. So who gave names to the animals? Adam did. God didn't say, call this one good. God brought them to see what Adam would call them. So Adam was responsible for calling the names. Continue. And Adam gave names to all the cattle of the, and, and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found any help meet for him. So even though Adam had all the animals and all the toys, there was still something missing. All right, continue. And God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from, Ad, from man he made a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. So here Adam again was the one who got excited, praise God, and received his wife. God did not say, This must be your wife. He was brought it again just the same way he brought the other animals. But Adam chose this one for wife. The Bible says in verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So you can see this is one of the areas where the theme of this seminar or this program or this week comes from. Go back again to verse 24. It said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Continue. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. 
Again, I'm not spending too much time. I just want to mention some things before we go into questions and answers. One of the first things I want to mention here is that uh, God is the one that instituted marriage. Amen? So if you're writing things, that's a good point to write. Marriage was not instituted by the government. So the government is not the best authority to talk about marriage. Amen? So if God says marriage is between husband and wife, one man and one woman, it doesn't matter what people think or what people agree or talk about. It doesn't change what God has said. God is the one who started marriage. It's not the, it's not the American government. So the one who starts marriage is the one who defines marriage. Amen. So any other definition apart from God's scriptural definition is evil. It's wrong. And it's important we're starting on all of these bases because if the foundation is not serious, um, it's not strong, then everything else begins to fall on shaking ground. Let's look at Matthew chapter number 19, verse 6. When the questions start. Matthew 19, verse 6. The Bible says here, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So who joins a husband and a wife together? God does. Some people say, what's the difference between marriage and, and single? I mean, it's just a piece of paper. Does a piece of paper make a lot of difference? It's not a piece of paper. It's God that joins. One reason why marriages have actually become very flippant and very light is because the people think it's just a legal contract. They think we are married just because the court says so. They think we are married because the family sees us as marriage. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant, and it's God that instituted the covenant. So it's not dependent on just the man and the wife. God gets involved. And that's usually why I say to people who come in for marriage counseling in church, you can go to court and we will recognize it. You can even do traditional marriage and we'll recognize it. But the most important kind of marriage is church. Somebody say hallelujah. Because there in the presence of God and the anointed minister, you are taking a vow. And it's a covenant. It's more than just an agreement. A covenant usually in scripture is an agreement that is sealed by blood even unto death. That's what a covenant is. It can't be broken except through death. And usually when somebody in the old covenant breaks a covenant, it's punishable by death because it's a lifelong uh, agreement, lifelong commitment. So marriage is not we are married until we fall out of love, until things get tough, until we don't like each other anymore. That's not what marriage is. Scriptural marriage is when two people come together in the presence of God and they are in a covenant of blood for life. It's very serious. It's very serious. That's why when two people are married, they should never be a threat of divorce. Somebody say amen. amen. You know when you start threatening, what happens eventually? It happens. So you, don't, you don't bring it up. 
There should never be things like, I should never have married you. It shouldn't be. You're now in a covenant. Once you're married, if you have passed that initial part. In short, if you look at the scriptures about marriage, the Bible says that the two of them becomes one in the sight of God, which means that there is a change spiritually or in the realm of the spirit of the nature of the two individuals when they are coming to the altar and when they are leaving. God doesn't see them the same. In short, I joke sometimes like this when I'm, when I'm conducting a wedding, that they come in at two individuals, they, they leave as a muster. One person with two heads, four hands, four feet, four eyes. Because the Bible says they become what? One. They become one. They become parts of one another. Why? Because God who created the earth, who created individuals, who created universe, actually seals them together. That's why it's called an altar. They are, wed they are welded together. That's why it's called a wedding. Now people, people, people don't see people don't see some of these things. Like I said, English many times tells you some stories. People just don't say you get welded. That's why if 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 you are going to separate, it has to be broken. You cannot weld something and separate it to become the way it used to be. It can never happen. When people are married and they get divorced, they are never the same. Part of it is broken and follows each other. Because it's not just an agreement. It's not just a coming together as friends. Let's see how it works. It's not a financial coming together. This is God putting two people together to become one flesh. And I think that some of these emphasis need to be clear in the church. So when people are getting married, you know what they're getting into. Amen? That's why when you get married, like we teach in this church, you lose your individualism to a large extent. It's no longer my house, your house. It's no longer my car, your car. It's no longer my clothes. Okay, these people are laughing now. It's the truth. Can your wife can your wife wear the husband's clothes and go to work? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's shaped like a woman's clothes, she better not. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with Yeah, you can wear his shirt. It actually it's your shirt. Praise God. Now, I'm not saying you should dress, cross-dress and say, I'm wearing my husband. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not advocating cross-dressing. I'm talking about that everything that he has belongs to you. And I think that many times people struggle a lot with this, even in the church. I hear it so often. My car my wife's car. Now, it's, of course, sometimes they just mean to relate the fact that one he uses most. But underneath the surface, down to the root, there's oftentimes that mindset. 
a separation. People have finances. My money, your money. My account, your account. And it's almost like it's a mixture, not a compound. Marriage is not mixing. It's creating a new element. It's a compound. You are cemented together by the, by the consuming fire of God. I'm trying to make this clear. It's, 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 it's serious. Because if people understood this, you cannot be talking divorce. You can't. You're not just, you just think you just, you can't just go away. Praise God. Because you are in covenant with God. Let me put it this way. If God joins you together, who has the power to separate you? Who can, who can break apart what God put together? Some people think the courts just can easily. It's not, it's, many times people are carrying baggages because they didn't do it right. Now this is side, but let me just, let me just insert this here because this is supposed to be short. If the church marriage is the most important. I'm not saying the others are not important. We recognize it in the church. If a believer has to get a divorce, it has to be done in the church. People think the church can join people, but they cannot divorce. It's not true. The one who has the power to put together has the power to separate. It's not just whether there's a... People are more concerned about the legal ramifications. As a believer, it's the spiritual ramification that's more, that more important than the legal. The legal is important too because sometimes when you're dealing with courts. So it's very, very important to realize this. As some people just go get a divorce without consulting with the church. Actually, the way it should be is that if you are going to get a legal divorce, the church should release you first. Then you can do it legally. Or else you are going against spiritual order. Everybody say? Amen. All right. So we're talking about becoming one. Praise God. And how, is, how can two people become one? Most of the time when people get married, they're different. God made it that way. That's why God, when he was creating the, the two to become one, he made one male and one female. Because the idea is for two different people to come together to become one. That's why homosexuality, first of all, is against the purpose of marriage. Because the idea was not to marry two same is to marry two different kinds of people. Of course, the sad thing is that sometimes one tries to behave like the other sex, which is not, which is not the same. Praise God. Don't want to say much about that because that's not where we're going. However, it's, impo it's important to recognize that when two people got married, many times they marry people who have a different character from them. Different personality. For example, someone who is likes to talk a lot. What kind of person do they usually marry? Quiet folks. 
Now, that's the way it is. Someone who likes to spend a lot, they may not know at the time when they are getting married, but most of the time people get married. One person likes to spend a lot, and the other person is like, no, 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 let's keep, let's keep the pot. It's, it's still good. You see, there's a hole here. It's a packet with chewing gum. <laughs> you see, but they're too different. Right? One person likes to go out all the time. And the other person does what? Like to stay home. He's like, how? Um, and because of this difference, people think now we, we, don't, we are not compatible. We don't like the same things. We can work together. But the truth is that the essence of marriage is that two different people come together and complement one another in their different strengths. If two people who like to spend money, what's going to happen? <laughs> Broke, in debt, police pursuing them. <laughs> right? If, the, if two people like to talk, marry, what happens? No peace. They will pull up the roof. Their neighbors will move out. Right? You see, but people think, I can't stand this person because we are different. But the truth is that that's one of the reasons why you married that person. Because the difference is supposed to complement you. It's supposed to help balance you. And that's what we're talking about. So marriage is coming together. Two people, usually different. Different mindsets. One is analytical. The other one is spontaneous. Is that a problem? Is it everything you analyze? <laughs> Just analyze it, calculate the money to the last penny, and then you never go for vacation. <laughs> You know, I said, let's go. He said, there's nobody. He said, we'll find, we'll get money somehow. He said, how are we going to pay for this? He said, let's go. That's marriage. Now, should you go all the time when the one say, let's go? No. There are some times, you know, I said, no, we went last time. We are still paying for it. This time, I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> we ain't going. <laughs> what if that you have put your foot down for a couple of months? You say, okay, you know what? Let's go again. Or else your life will be boring. You work, work, and you will not have any fun. You just be dry. And people think that the difference should cause animosity, but really, it ought to cause you to enjoy each other. One likes action movies. The other one likes romantic movies. So what should you do? Buy to television, one downstairs, one upstairs. <laughs> That's what so many people do. You go watch the one down, the action downstairs, <laughs> while I stay in the bedroom and watch the room. That's not, that's not the way it should be. So what do you do? Sometimes you watch action movies. If you don't like blood, close your eyes. Then is it that scene over? Say yes. Right? If you don't like romance, just, just sit down and just smile. Really? <laughs> That's what marriage is. You have to be able to experience life from another perspective. So what people fight about as the difference really should help strengthen the marriage. 
But the reason why it's such a big deal is that many times people are selfish. They want it my way all the time, the way I like it. I'm right. You are wrong. You must be. You, it, it, it's as if you are the one who knows A to Z. The other person is just dumb dumb. But it's not true. Even when you believe and you know that you believe and you believe that you know that you are right, you may still be wrong. Right? So even when you are sure, you actually think what you are saying is right, you have to always give a benefit of doubt. Because sometimes the other person is saying it from a perspective that you are not. I've mentioned this before. Benny he was saying that when he wants to hire a high-ranking staff in his ministry then, uh, he, he, he looks at all the credentials. The guy has been you know, faithful in his work. He's been in the ministry for 20 years. He's worked with this minister. After he has done all that and the guy seems to be the right person, he asks his wife, what do you think? Sometimes the wife says, no, I don't, I don't think he's the one. He said, but he has all these qualifications. He said, no, he's not. Why? She just knows. Nothing analytical, just an in intuition. And because of that, he never hires that. And the times he went at, you know, against such instructions or such advice, he always got into trouble. So it's not everything that you can analyze. Sometimes you may just, she may even say the person who is less qualified in paper is the better fitted for that position. So let's hire this one. Say, but this guy doesn't have a master's. Say, I know. He master it when he's here. <laughs> right? But some people just say, no, no. He doesn't understand. Masters are the things raining now. So life is not always just cut and dry. You have to give room for others. And love, which is, which is the bond of perfection, actually teaches us how to relate with one another. Because I'm not spending so much time um, I'm just going to give some points about becoming one. Amen. So I've said one, that God is the one who instituted marriage. So mar God is the one who also will determine how marriage is conducted. Amen. Amen. If you want to fix your Mercedes-Benz properly, where do you take it to? Yeah. Mercedes-Benz dealership. If you give it to a roadside mechanic, <laughs> you do more may do more harm than good. Right? Yeah, so if you really have a marriage problem, you should go to church. You know, ch the church is, has so much been put down that people just disregard it. You know, the theme of this year's Agape's Fest celebration is what? The Church of God. We're going to be talking a lot about the church. Somebody sent me, uh, myself and my wife, a video today about Oprah Winfrey, about how she became rich. And the first thing she said was that her idea about success, how to make it started when she was taken to church. As she heard the ministers preach, you can do all things. God says all things are possible. We don't know the name of the pastor, but it's the pastor that made Oprah what she is today. Now, people think the church is not important. You're just talking, you're just preaching, reading from the Bible. But most of the successful people anywhere in the world, principles came from the Word of God. Somebody taught them the truth from scriptures. And that's what they used to succeed. Some of them get up and then forget God, even curse God, and now say there's a higher power somewhere. 
We don't know what the name is, but the, the, the origin <laughs> came from the church. Most marriages are based, that are working based on godly principles. You know, the Bible says that even where the gospel, as we know it, is not preached, God has written these laws in our hearts. That's why most cultures, there are things that they frown against. There are certain principles that they have talked about marriage. And if you trace all of them, you discover that they all have origin from the Judeo-Christian principles of faith in marriage. So God is the one who instituted marriage. And if you really want to know how a marriage should operate, you should go to God. Amen. Again, second, God is the one that joins people together. So marriage is not just an agreement. It's a covenant that is sealed by God. And so, if God joins, no one should break. Somebody say hallelujah. All right, before we talk, let me talk about some little principles of how to become one. Again, I want to make this quickly. Uh, let's go back to Genesis chapter number two. The Bible says, for this reason, for this reason of becoming a married, of, of a man finding his spouse, when you find the right person, one of the first things you have to do is leave. Tell somebody, leave before you cleave. Amen. What does it mean to leave? Separate from. Break the apron ties. Break the mama's boy, papa's boy, papa's girl, mama's girl. Because you can't carry your extended family properly into marriage. Now, that doesn't mean you can't relate to them. But marriage is the beginning of a new relationship, a new family. Somebody say amen. amen. Of course, I'm also saying this to mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, and father-in-laws, father-in-laws to be. Amen. I want to hear a louder amen. amen. Let your children go. If they still have to call you every day, tell them to repent. You see, they can't they can call you to check you. Of course, they can call you, but they don't. They shouldn't have to. Right? If you have to call and tell them what, ask them what, what, what did your, your wife cook for you, you, you need to repent. Right? Or the other way around. If the wife is always calling the, the father, you know, well, this is what my husband did to me today. He, just, he, he, he called me a name. You need to repent. Right? Yeah. There's a level of of, of, of relationship you should have, but you have to leave before you can cleave. One of the problems that people have in marriage is that they never left home. They are still carrying their, the family that they grew up in into their marriage. Now, I'm not talking about the principles that you were taught, because if the principles are godly, you can carry them. I'm talking about the strings. This is what mommy say. This is the kind of way Mama used to cook. This is how my father used to do it. Praise God. You can bring it as maybe if it's an idea to look at it, but don't taunt your spouse with the family you're coming from. Some people ask me, is interracial marriages possible for you to work well? What's the answer? Yes. In short, it should be more fun. Right? Because now you have a lot more to bring together. In short, science tells us, I'm a biologist, if you don't know, no, 
have a, have a degree in biology. Praise God. They tell you that people who marry that are too close biologically is unhealthy. You didn't know that? Yeah, genetically it's not, it's not right. So you are better off biologically marrying from far. <laughs> because you have a higher uh, pool of genes that you can select from. So what I'm saying in essence, the essence of marriage is not to bring two people who look alike, talk alike, eat alike from the same culture, from the same, you know, people keep telling people if you are from different cultures, it will affect your marriage negatively. If you don't understand love, it will. But love allows two people of two different mindsets to be able to work together. So one is to leave. The second is to cleave. So leave your father, leave your mother. In be independent spiritually in the sense that you can, you can, you can know God yourself now. Right? Yeah. By the time you are getting married, you should be mature enough to pray. Study. If you can't pray, study on your own. You're not ready for marriage. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you still have to depend on your parents to wake you up to pray and study, and if they don't do it, you don't do it, you're not ready for marriage. Marriage is not by age. Maturity is not by age. There are some 30-year-old babies and 16-year-old and are mature, mature, ready for marriage. So it's not by age. There are certain things you should be able to do for yourself. So you need to you need to leave and then you need to cleave. You need to be mature enough to handle yourself financially. Praise God. You shouldn't have to depend on your parents. Now, of course, there are some sometimes where there may be some uh, unusual situations where where there may be some need for dependence for a short while, but you, you shouldn't thrive on that. You shouldn't thrive on that. In short, personally, when you graduate from college, me, my children are here. When they are going to college, I tell them, now you're 18, you're an adult. I don't have to do a thing for you. I will do it if I choose to, but it's my prerogative. You don't have a right to demand it. Right? They're here. Answer now, Effie. They're looking down. Don't look down. <laughs> I said, I, I, I'm, I'm a loving father. I will help you if, if you need, have a need. But I'm not obligated to. And the best way to live is to live a way that you don't need me to help you. I said, that, that's maturity. If you still ask me I have the right thereof to control you. If you want to be independent and mature, then you have to learn to make your own money and live independently. And most of them have done so. That's the, that's the, the trend in my house. Praise God. So in college, they asked me for $100. I said, for what? I said, oh, my books, I couldn't pay my book. I said, why, why didn't you get a second job? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're laughing, but that's the truth. <laughs> and they learn to be independent. Now, if they say, well, you know, my, my costs are too heavy. If I get a, a job, I can't make it. I say, okay, I'm wiring this $100. But don't go buy a new shoe if, you, if this is for work. 
for books, right? Yeah. And it looked like I'm tough. I'm training them to be independent. But many times before they get out of college, they don't need a dream from us. And they are ready for marriage. Right? Because if they are graduating and they can't eat without you, they can't sleep without you, they can't drive without you, they, they, you're just preparing trouble for somebody else. I was just preparing trouble. And I don't release them so quickly. I say, if you want to leave my house, especially if you're a lady, it's through the altar. <laughs> That's the best way to leave. I'm not saying comfort. That's the best way. That's the most honorable way to leave. Amen. So in essence, what I'm saying is that you have to leave your family. You have to. And it's not just a physical, geographical leaving. Some people want to leave geographically, but they have not left mentally. You have to leave, you know, you have to realize that you're not an adult, first of all, independent, and that you have, you're no longer attached to your parents so that you can now get married to a new person. Amen? Amen. Again, it happens on both sides. I've had counseling situations where the major problem are parents butting into their marriage of their children, calling the spouses and telling them what to do. I've had to call some parents and say, stop that. That's destroying this marriage. Let them be. Say, but I, I don't like it. I say, it doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if you like it. If that's the way they want to leave, the best you can do is advise them. And leave them. Let them sort it out. Praise God. You have taught them what you know. Now you can advise them. So leaving and cleaving, it's not only your parents you need to leave. Some people need to leave their old gangs. Praise God. <laughs> right? You need to leave gangs. If you are still hanging with singles that like to hang out in parties and like to just drink or, or show forth and, and show different parts of their body and you are not married, you need to begin to change your friends. If you are married and all your friends are singles, you are in soup. Hot soup. You know what soup is? Okay, you are in pepper soup. <laughs> they are in trouble. In trouble, because they will not have the same kind of responsibilities, and they will not have the same kind of commitment that you have. So it doesn't mean you should drive all of them away, but you have to begin to change your level of relationship because those things that you are hanging on to that, you, that was comfortable for you as a single is no longer the same when you are married. You, have a, you are a different person now. Praise God. You had one head before and two eyes. Now you have two heads and four eyes, four arms. You are not just on your own on the fly. You are welded to somebody else. It's a different life. That's what Paul was warning them. Say, if, if, if you know you can't handle this, don't try it. <laughs> yeah. He said, don't try it. He said, because you are going to have trouble in the flesh. Because the things you would have wanted to do as an individual, you can do. But he says, you are still better doing that than living an immoral life. So you are supposed to be married. If you have a need for that kind of a relationship. Praise God. All right. For time, let's move faster. 
So you need to cleave, and cleave means you need to become very close to your spouse. Your spouse should be your closest friend, your closest confidant. In short, she's not just a friend, she's a part of you. Amen. There are many scriptures that says that, that tells us that you're, you're one, one flesh, which means that your hands don't only belong to you, it belongs to your spouse. So I tell my wife, bring those hands, those are my hands, bring it. You can't say, don't touch me. You say, well, I'm touching myself. What do you mean, don't touch me? <laughs> you belong to me. I belong to you too. We are one. And this, this is a mindset that people have to have. And that's why when we started saying before, you can't have things like my car, your, because you are one. You are one flesh. All the money that comes to the house, who does it belong to? Both of you. <laughs> it belongs to both of you. Listen, it does not matter who is bringing the money in. 100% belongs to both of you. It doesn't matter. And I'm not talking about just in paper. You know, people say it, but when they are to their currency, I'm this is my money. It should never come up. My money should never come up. This is, these are scriptural foundations. For a proper marriage. Because if you don't know these things, there's going to be quarrel, concern. People say, I don't, don't I know. Praise God. So you have to cleave. Both of you have to become one. That means that every bank account, both parties must have access to it. Uh-uh. I didn't hear a big amen. 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 No secret email accounts. All accounts must be accessible. Amen. Your phone. Amen. Your spouse should have your password. Yes, I know. <laughs> and people have called me and they're angry. Why? See, their spouse was trying to get their password. Like, why? Why? I'm saying, what, are, you try, are you reporting yourself? <laughs> that your spouse does not have your password? <laughs> because evil thrives in secrecy and darkness. And one of the responsibilities of a spouse is to be a covering. And he can't cover you when you're hiding. <laughs> the Bible said that we are both naked. And not There's nothing you should hide from your spouse. Nothing. Even the mistakes that you made. Including the, the, the house they give to you before you get ma got married. Secret bank accounts. Oh, everything should be on the table. If you are in debt, tell your spouse. I ran out this credit, run this credit card. We're getting married. You're marrying my, my credit card too. My debt is part of it. Our debt now. That's and that's what. You, and once you get married, it's no longer your debt. It's now our debt. What do we do about this our debt? How do we plan for it? That is the mindset. Now, if these fundamental things are not dealt with. Trying to fix the, the peripheral doesn't really work. And that's why many struggles are in marriage. Because people did not really get married scripturally. They just entered into a physical agreement. If you are signing a prenup before you get married, you are not getting married. You're not getting married. 
You're just, you're just having a business deal. Yeah, it's a business transaction. You're having a roommate with papers. That's not Bible marriage. That's not God. God doesn't say prenup. God says once you are married, everything that belongs to one belongs to the other. God doesn't do prenups. Somebody say amen. So all prenuptial agreements in marriages are unrighteous. If you don't trust the person enough with your money, don't marry them. How can you, how can you join yourself with somebody and you don't trust the person with your finances? And you trust the person with your life? You sign a prenup with your wife and you want to cook your food. <laughs> is that not dumb dumb? <laughs> is, that not, is that not dumb dumb? She's the one giving you food and you are ingesting, eating it. You, don't, you trust her with what you are eating. Don't trust that with your money. It's just dumb, dumb, dumb square. <laughs> You're supposed to trust your spouse. You say, but they make mistakes. Then you sit and discuss it. Right? I'm not saying that both spouses may have to be the one in charge of the finances. Sometimes one person may be better suited for that. You say, you handle it. Why well, I handle this? And this is how we, we work. We, we discuss it and we plan. And then this is the areas I'll have responsibility for. But it's never your money. My money. Take that out. Amen. And each person should have access to each other's accounts. Because this is, they are, you are joined together. But I'm talking about joint heirs with God. Everything God has, he has made available to us. The same thing with your spouse. Now, even if somebody's the one managing the account or managing a particular account, the other person should have access to it to see, to see what's going on. There shouldn't be secret expenditures. Amen. Now, I'm saying all of this so I understand what marriage is. And so you have to click, become one. Bible says become one. Become one in finances. Become one spiritually, growing up together in faith. Become one, you know, emotionally. And some of these things have to be taught. You, somebody has to teach them. You have to teach each other. So one of the ways you become one is that you have to walk in love. That's probably what I'm going to have to do because I try, want to try to close early. We'll look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Is that you're going to have to be patient with one another to grow up together. Not everybody grew up being taught the same things. So how are you going to be able to become one? You have to let these foundation uh, principles, understanding, living and cleaving, understanding God's uh, proper uh, uh, structure for marriage. And then you're going to have to practice the power that binds together. And the power that binds is love. Let's put up uh, Colossians 3.19. Colossians 3.14. Colossians 3.14. Are we recording this thing? We're not recording it? Audio is recording. Okay, that's good. Colossians 3, 14. He said, above all, put on charity. The word charity is the same word, uh, love, that is translated love or agape, which is the bond of perfectness, which is what binds everything together. So when you leave, you cleave. When the Bible says who God has joined together, the Bible says God is love. So how does God join people together? It's love. It's the, it's the love of God that, that 
puts the husband and the wife together as one, makes them one. That's the same love that joins us to Christ and makes us one with Christ. So that love of God has to be practiced. Again, we won't have enough time to, 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 to teach on that tonight because that's, that's a major fundamental principle of marriage. Not just feel you or errors. Now, the Bible mentions at least three different kinds of love. Some people say four. And the first one is agape. Say agape. agape. You know, uh, it's spelled like agape, which is the love of God. And this is not a love that is emotional. This, the, the agape of God is the love that actually cements marriages together. It's the unconditional love. The love that loves in spite of the challenges of the other person. Praise God. This love does not diminish. It doesn't change. If the person's hair is short, you love the person. If the person's hair is not long, you don't. No, that's not that kind of love. If the person increases in size or weight, the love goes. No, this is an unconditional love, the kind of love that God has for us, which is, which is taught in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the fundamental principle of marriage. It's not the other kind. This, the other kind of love is filio or phileo, which is the, uh, the, 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 the brotherly kind of love or the kind of love you had for something that you like. Some, somebody you are fond of. The world system really doesn't have agape because agape flows from God. But there is a lot of filial, which means that there's a lot of brotherly love or like the kind of uh, what you call a being found of or philanthropic love. It's not the same as agape. And, and that's the kind of love you have for people that you like. People do things that, that you like you you love them. If they do things you don't like, you fall out of love. That's what most of the time people see in, in more romantic novels. You know, not just the physical type, but the, the emotional type. It's the emotional love. Man is made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. The spiritual part loves with agape. The, the soul loves with filial. So it's a soulish love. It's the love that when somebody uh, uh, breaks the other person's heart, he stops eating, stops drinking, starts shrinking. That's not agape. That's feeling. Yeah, it's a soul attachment. And many times, people's marriages are based on feeling, or relationship are based on feeling. And so it's, it's, it's very, very unstable. It doesn't last because it's dependent on what's going on. And it's very emotional. Filial has a lot to do with emotional love. People that you like. People that you prefer. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Some people like a particular shape. Particular height. Particular uh, size. Now if that size changes, the love diminishes. That's not agape. That's filial. Now, is filial important? Yes, God wants us to have that too. Then the third kind of love is eros, which is a sexual love, which is only supposed to be confined to marriage. And this is the one that Pastor B described in her book. It's like fire. Praise God. It's, it's, it can be ignited and it can burn. 
but it's supposed to be really to 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 excite the marriage and to differentiate the marriage from others. It's also supposed for procreation to have children. But it's one of the things that make marriage also very, very unique from any other relationship. Because the only platform by which God allows us to express erotic love or eros is in marriage. And many times Christians shrink from that. But the truth is that God wants you to enjoy that to the fullest as well. Praise God. Uh, the Bible tells us sex comes from God. And should be satisfying in a marriage relationship. Amen. Many couples don't talk about their sex life. They don't talk about how to improve on it. They don't talk about how to enjoy it more. They don't talk about what they like, what they don't like. And then um, sometimes what happens is that their relationship begins to get affected. Uh, but the truth is that all these three different kinds of love is important in having a good relationship. Now, there are many materials that you can, we can study to give us a good idea about these diff different kinds of love. But I really want us to study them. I don't have enough time. We wanted to look at agape. But agape, you can find in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's one of the solutions. It shows the major solution to most marital problems. Because if you base your marriage on agape, it will stand the test of time. If you base it on filio, it will be affected by the things that are around you and the size of what's going on. If you base it on arrows, you are going to be everywhere. You're going to be around the block. Because that's what the flesh does, just jumps. So marriage ought to be based on agape, the love of God. Amen? And then it needs to, you can also develop filial, find out what each other likes and begin to relate to one another in that way. And then you can also uh, work on errors. I'm going to ask the usher to bring the, uh, the questions at this time. They want to go beyond nine. And then in the next 30 minutes, we're going to try to take some questions. My wife is here. If there are questions that are more directed towards ladies or she may be in a better position to answer, I will let her know. Pastor Michael is here too. Oh, pastors are on deck. So if you have questions, just pass it. I'm going to read the ones I got on by email. We'll start from there. So please do. You have any questions to bring in? Is this a receipt for the question or? Praise <laughs> God. Okay. If you have more questions, pass it. Because once we receive all the questions, I'm not going to go back to ask aloud. So please, if you have any questions, anybody has any more questions, wave. Um, again, like I say, you don't have to put your name on it. Or you can do like the people who send by email and say somebody has asked them. Praise God. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Question one. Uh, is there any such thing as being too spiritual in a marriage? Asked by my friend in Canada. Praise God. <laughs> yes, I think they can be. The Bible actually says, don't be over-righteous. He said, why, why do you destroy yourself? Which means that what, what you may call that way, I mean, ideally there should be nothing like being too spiritual. But I think what the person is referring to is that somebody becomes uh, so spiritually minded that he's no longer acting properly towards their spouse. 
you know, that's one of the things that people people have, and and it can be a problem. For example, the Bible tells us that um, in first in first Corinthians chapter number eleven, uh, put it up. He said, if you pray or prophesy with your head uncovered, you say you dishonor your husband. That means that there are certain responsibilities that a husband has, a certain responsibility a wife has, that you cannot uh, be exempt from it because you say you have spiritual duties. For example, the Bible says you cannot abstain from sexual relationship from your spouse for a spiritual reason without the consent of your spouse. You can't go on a fast independently because that body belongs to another too. You can't just declare a personal fast. It looks spiritual, but it's unspiritual. Because you can't be more spiritual than the Bible. The Bible says you can't do that. Right? Neither can you spend all your time, say you are praying, worshipping, studying, praising God, and you don't have time to prepare food for your wife or your husband. Or your wife. Praise God. You don't have time to spend with your spouse. Now, that can be defi- defined as over-spiritual. Now, God is number one. You, can, you always have to put that in your mind because God needs, requires us to worship him, to spend time to do his work. But quickly coming behind that is your spouse. So you have to create ample time to spend with your spouse before you spend with your children. Everybody say... I didn't hear loud enough. You didn't hear loud enough. Amen. 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 Sometimes, especially the women, when they have children, sometimes they become more engrossed with raising children. And because the children need attention, and because they have to sleep, they have to eat some eating every three hours. But sometimes they neglect their spouse. But it shouldn't be. It should be on an agreement. And one of the ways to avoid that is for the, the husband to join in the work. Right? If you come from home and you're watching television and say, is the food ready? Which some men do. I mean, less and less people are doing that now. Um, then you probably would not have as much as you would like to have time together. Now, if both of you have to work, even if she stays home watching the children, which is a full-time job, and you come back and she's in the kitchen, what should you do? Join. Say, what can I do? I mean, you know, you cut the tomato. Let me cut the pepper. Praise God. Tell me the right time to put it in the oil. Then you are spending time together already. And usually when you do that, then you have a, you know, if the, if it's hot in the kitchen, it will be hot in the bedroom. It will be hot in the family room. You will be, you'll be flowing hot all the time. But if you pass each other in the kitchen, you pass each other in the bedroom too. Because you are in different directions. So the ideal thing is for you to work together. To work together. And once you do that, there is a flow. Now, that does not mean that responsibilities are not designated in Scripture. Yeah, the Bible tells us that the man should be the head. And the the Bible tells us the man should be primarily provider. The Bible says that the woman should keep the home. This means that one of our primary, is find that in Titus 2, primary uh, responsibility is to take care of the house, be a housekeeper. Oh, okay, let's read it. Some people have never seen it. I'm not making it up. It said, keep house. If you keep house, what is that? (laughs) Titus 2, let's look at that. 
The scriptures describes some of the responsibilities. Let's start from verse 4. Okay, start from verse 3. The aged women likewise, uh, the, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient, obedient, is obedient there? Yes, obedient. Obedient. <laughs> Obey. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> that's what the Bible says to their own husbands. That the word be not blasphemed, which means that if you are not doing it right, you are giving room for blasphemy. So there are things the Bible says the women should do. There are things the Bible says the men should do. And if you do it right, then um, you, would, you would not be over-spiritual. Praise God. Because what, what people refer to as spiritual is that you speak in tongues, speak in tongues, you pray in the Holy Ghost, and then you read your Bible, read your Bible, and then you evangelize, you evangelize now. <laughs> All those things are important. But once you are married, the, Paul already warns us in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, if you are married, you will not have the same kind of time as a single to even do the things of the ministry because you are now committed to spending time with your spouse. It is a Bible requirement that you minister to your spouse. It's actually a ministry. Amen. Amen. Minister to your spouse properly. So, yes, people can be over-spiritual because they, they carry themselves that way. So that's the first question I got. Um, honey, you want to say anything? All right. <laughs> Thank you. Another question says, uh, can God ask a believer to divorce, divorce, what did I, how do you pronounce it again? I just want to make sure that we have it in different accents. Say amen. To divorce their, or divorce their spouse or any other for any reason. For what reason will God ask a believer to divorce or divorce their spouse? Question by friend. Praise God. Now, the Bible is very clear. Uh, if you read Mark chapter number 10, maybe we should look at Mark chapter number 10 and the Matthew 19 we read. The Bible says that no one should put away his wife except for adultery. Now, it's not saying God will ask you to do it. It just says that you have no right to do it except that. When that happens, then you have a choice. So it's not a case that God is saying you should. Amen. Because divorce is against God's principle of marriage. But he says that it is possible if there is already adultery involved. Uh, Mark, Mark chapter number 10. Did I say Mark 10? Yes, Mark chapter number 10. Let's see. Let's just start from verse 1. And there, and he arose from there and come out to the coast of Judea by the fatherland of Jordan. And the peoples resorted unto him again. And he was and he was warned, he taught them again too. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful 
for a man to put away his wife, tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered us a bill of divorcement and to put away his wife. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. That means anyone who is thinking, talking, planning divorce has a hard heart. But from the beginning of, the, of creation, God made them male and female. Everybody say male and female. Male and female. Not male and male, male, female and female. He made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the twin and they twins shall be one flesh. That's what we've been talking about. So then they are no longer twin. You're not two anymore, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house, his disciples asked him again the same matter. The disciples were like, wait a minute. He said to them, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committed adultery against her. And if a woman put away her husband and marry, be married to another, she committed adultery. So people who divorce and just remarry, they are committed adultery. Praise God. So it's not right. Amen. The only reason God says it should even be considered at all is, is it's um, adultery, if one already involved with adultery. Because adultery is like a blood covenant to uh, sex. There's mixture of blood. You have a choice. You shouldn't have to. That too can be forgiven. Praise God. But you have a choice. Amen? If you do it based on that, you are not sinning. But you have a choice to forgive as well. And make the work, make the marriage work. Amen? It's serious. Adultery is serious. It's the only reason the Bible says any marriage should be considered separation. All right. Um, let me read the last question here and I'll take the one that was written and we can close tonight since we don't have more questions. Question. What is the position of property rights in Christendom? We already answered that, right? What's the position of property rights? Everything. 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 Even if they, even after, even if they was given as a child, and he found out that he has a mansion in 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 uh, in, uh, in a nation that he didn't know before. Once you are married, everything. Most legal uh, proceedings says that whatever you had after you got married. No, the Bible says everything you had before, present, or in the future belongs to both parties. That's the property right. Amen. And it's not 60-50. Is equal shares. Right? You know, many courts, when they divorce, uh, the wife gets a little less, has a percentage. The husband gets the, the lion's share many times. I don't know why. I've not read the legal reasons why, but the Bible says it should be 50. So if the guy is worth 100 million and they have to divorce, which they shouldn't, what should the wife get? 50 million. 50 million. Cool, 50 million. It shouldn't be 20 million. That's why there should be no prenups. Everything, everything one has belongs to the other. That's the Bible stance as far as finances and property is concerned. Amen? Mm -hmm. So, 
if you marry and you had a house and a car and you now marry, who owns the car? Both parties. Don't say my car, your car. What do you say now? Our car. Let's, what are we doing with our car? You have equal right, equal, equal, equal right. And I advise you, if you can, put your spouse's name on the car as well. Everybody say, Amen. put your spouse's name on the car. It's for your spiritual protection. Before the enemy starts suggesting some unspiritual things. You know, you know, sometimes the things God does is to protect you. Praise God. If most marriages, all these prenups that they are signing, don't have those things, and they know they are going to split their finances in two, many of them will not get divorced. They just want to pay the person off. I can continue to live my life. Some, it ought to be hard to divorce. It ought to be difficult. It shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be easy. And like I said, if you are not ready to share your life, then don't get married. Stay single. Watch single sisters on television. <laughs> Enjoy your single life. Right? I said right. Be happy, single. Fellowship with friends in church. When you go home, put on television, praise God. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Single can be, single life can be, can be exciting. You sure you can have more time for evangelism. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. It's not just a joke. That's what the Bible says. So it's actually a good life. Paul, we don't have any record that he was married. But he wrote to tell of the Bible. Peter was carrying his wife around. <laughs> Paul said so. Peter was carrying his wife around. Right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are getting married, you have decided to join your life with somebody else. And he has full access to everything you have. Your email account, your Twitter account, your Facebook account. I want to hear amen. Your bank account. Your body account. Every account. He has access. She has access. That is proper marriage. And when those things are happening, the first time that person, the other person sends a text message or an email, I say, I like the way your shoe was looking yesterday. Your spouse finds out. Right? right. He doesn't have time to develop. But when you have private things and the other person doesn't have access, you are creating room for evil. So those things are for your protection. Right? Yeah. Don't, you don't have secrets. You don't have secrets. When, when, you, when you, your spouse sees $500, move out of your account. You have to discuss it, right? No, no, no secret hotel bills. No secret hotel bills. So it's protecting you. It's protecting you. Right? Yeah. There's some people who call me, call me, call me. My wife calls them back. <laughs> because she has access to my information. Right? 
That's the that's protection. You can't hide. That's why I say we are both naked and not ashamed. That is one of the things God places to secure marriages. Even children, children. You know, many marriages stay because of children. I said, do you know that? Yeah. People just think all those things are just for free, you know, if you like it or not. God put those things for reasons. Many marriages stay because they have a child together to raise. And they have to put their heart, their finances together. But once there are no children, sometimes they're still living like singles. That's why I, 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 I advise people. Once you marry, drop one. <laughs> Quickly, drop one. Oh, you didn't get that. <laughs> have a baby. If you, even if you want to have other time to play, have, it, it, is, it helps. You know, I know some people have challenges of having children. That, that's a different case. But it should, it, I, it's encouraged in scriptures to have a child. Amen. It helps the marriage. One of the things it also does is that it removes self-centeredness. You now have an additional concern. You're not just thinking of I, me. You have something to plan together that equally belongs to both of you. Selfishness is one of the biggest anti uh, challenge to marriage, and one of the ways that you can, one of the things that deals with that is having having children together. Praise God, because you know you can't just be yourself anymore. You have to, both of you have to deal with that. So there are things that God places. It looks like it's just for the convenience. Or it's, they, are, they have spiritual undertone. All right. Can a long distance be healthy? I think what I say, can a long distance marriage be healthy? Not advised. If you have a long-distance relationship or one is incarcerated, uh, is it healthy or to pursue or do you give it up? Well, if the person is not married, you always have a choice. I would not advise you if, if you can't handle it. I mean, some people can, but if you can't, I would not advise you to have long-distance relationships because sometimes it can be challenging. And, you know, um, but like I said, it's possible. But if you are already married, even if the person has gone to the moon, <laughs> doesn't matter where the person went to. You're married. As long as the person is alive. Praise God. As long as the person is alive. Even if the person is incapacitated person cannot communicate vegetable in coma you have no right spiritually to break it everybody say so it's, distance has nothing to do with marriage you should, but it's not advice because you expose yourself to things you don't want to expose yourself to and sometimes it can become challenging loneliness setting the whole purpose of marriage is not being achieved as it should so um, usually, the Bible says you live and what? Cleave. Cleave. You can't cleave in long distance. You have to come together. Amen. 
And the Bible actually advises us not to stay apart, a marriage couple is not to stay apart sexually for long periods of time. He actually says, you, you guess, you'll be tempted. So he says, you should come together very quickly. Praise God. He said, praise the Lord. Yeah, it's, it's unadvisable. So anybody who thinks he's doing that spiritually is unspiritual. The spiritual condition of marriage is to have frequent, frequent spiritual relationship, uh, sexual relationship. That's spiritual. It's the unspiritual that goes solo for long periods of time. Amen. amen. I didn't hear it now. Say amen. 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 Last part says, is marriage possible? Huh? The part that says jail. Then I'm said. I said, if the person is in jail, if you went to move, if you are married, you are married. As far as it's not dead. If you are, if you are not married yet, I don't advise you to continue if you have that kind of a situation. If, if you have a, a friend, a really you are thinking of marriage and the person gets into a, a, a problem and, and maybe he's found a criminal and is put in jail, you can decide to break the relationship. It's okay at that time if you can handle it. But once you have come to the altar and you said, I do, and God binds you together. It doesn't matter if it goes to the bottom of the earth. Even if it's life imprisonment. I said, even if it's life imprisonment, you are married as long as you live, as the both live. You can't break it. You can't break it properly. You can't. I know, I know people don't think like this way today. They just take it lightly. I mean, ask what Canada can't wait. Some say he has been in prison for six months. What does he expect me to do? <laughs> but it, they, I mean, they don't understand marriage. They have no clue what it is. All right, the last question we can take, which is here. Is marriage possible after 40 years of being single? What's the answer? Yes! You are just a baby at 40. Most people say life begins at 40. I believe life begins when you get born again. But at 40 is when you just begin to know the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> right. The truth is that most people think they're mature. They're just grown babies. They don't really understand. They don't understand what a relationship is. Yes. Yes. You should, you should, if you are 40, you can just get ready to get a powerful husband or wife. Right? You're mature enough to know what to do. Right? Yeah. And you should not be, you shouldn't be in a hurry and you shouldn't take too long. Once you find the right person, you have been led of the Holy Ghost. Go for counseling quickly. Amen. And get, do a simple marriage if you don't want to do all the fanfare. And start your enjoyable life. Why should you live life all by yourself? Eating your food by yourself when you want to eat with somebody else. You know some food is sweeter when you eat with somebody. Okay, singles week is coming. We talk about singles then. <laughs> but marriage, marriage is, is, is good. One of the things marriage does is that it, it puts two people's strengths together and multiplies the result. The Bible says two are better than one. You see, they have a greater result than two individual results put together. Marriage multiplies your result. It multiplies you financially. It multiplies your mind 
you know, it multiplies your ability to produce. It helps you carry burdens better. People who are married usually carry stress better than singles. All of these things are, are, are proven um, scientifically. So it's, it's not just a case of whether I just like it. Praise God. And when you come home and somebody massage your back, praise God. There's some, some stress just flow away. Sometimes just to be able to talk with someone. Human beings are social beings. To just discussing with someone you know has your back, you trust, you know he will, he will not use it against you, he's, he's concerned with you. It relieves the pressure that challenges her. So, so marriages usually help people stay less on, uh, with stress. They, they do better with stress than people who are single. Again, the Holy Ghost can always take the part of his spouse. Amen. Amen. Mama says he's your comforter. He's your standby. So if you can relate to the Holy Spirit, you can have the same or even better report, result. But God has given a natural allus paracletus help that is by you. Amen. Now, those are the, all the questions we have, so uh, we're going to close. We'd, we, I wish we had more questions. I would, I would like to uh, handle, handle more questions. There's this book I, I, I just got when I came from Nigeria. I don't know if I brought it out when we were having